Um, some really great things happening in the, in the church right now that I wanted to quickly share with you. Um, first of all, we've had five new community groups start this fall. We've had uh, the parents community group, which Sarah and I lead. And uh, the ladies were crossfitting this last weekend, uh, this last Tuesday. And if you follow us on Instagram, then you'll see the pictures there. I highly recommend you joining Instagram, if for no other reason, to see that picture. Um, so they were the, so it's the guys one week, um, the girls the next week, and then family. So there's a new parents community group. If you are interested in that, it is designed specifically for the busy families in mind. Do not think I haven't got time. That's not true. Stop using that as excuse join a community group. Um, secondly, Blaine's community group, uh, Blaine Kerry's community group has started and I believe they're working through a special um, sons kind of study in Galatians. Then we have a new ladies community group. We have Joseph and Evelyn's community group started where somebody became a Christian a couple of weeks ago uh, in that group. And then Dan and Dala's community group has started and it already sounds pretty full. So Lots of community groups started. We already have established ones. If you're not in a community group, then please, that is where the real life of this church happens. We are a strange group, aren't we? Have you ever thought about that? Like, just have a look around right now. Put your eyes on somebody who you think looks particularly strange, but make sure that they don't see you doing it. And then you can carry on looking at this strange person on stage. We are a strange and weird and different group. I mean, I love you, but it's true. You would never find such an eclectic group of people coming together like this if there wasn't a really solid common denominator. And, and it's Jesus. You know, we sing together. We do life together. We, it's, we're, we're different races. We have different accents, as you might have noticed. And we, we have different backgrounds, experiences. We have experiences that have come from addictions. We've got experiences that have just had the perfect picket fence kind of upbringing, yet we still all struggle. And, and, and that is what I love about church. We're eclectic. We all have different giftings, different talents, different strengths. We have different theologies. You know, we, as a church, I love the fact that we can have very firm views doctrinally on the, on the, on the real big issues. And then there are other theologies where you might be really, you might be a hard and fast Calvinist, sat right next to a hard and fast Armenian uh, believing person, Armenianist, I always struggle with that word. And as a church, we welcome that. We love that. There's wrestle and growth and, you know, let's not be a church that goes, well, because they don't believe exactly what I believe, then I'm going to go and try and find a church that does. Well, all the best with that, because you ain't going to find one. Let's keep the fundamentals upon the gospel, find a gospel-believing, gospel-preaching church and stick with it through thick and thin. I love that we're eclectic and different and strange and you know, we have different experiences, we have different baggage. This sermon today is one of those hotcakes, as we'd say in Britain. It's one of those where people are going to have very, very firm views, very set views, just like my sermon a few weeks ago when I talked about being chosen by God. Like, it was great. The discussion that happened out of that loved it. If you weren't here, then watch the video. It's, a, it's one where people have very firm views, and, and we like to poke them a little bit and go, well, why do you believe that? Well, because I watched a five-minute YouTube video four years ago, and now I believe it. Well, maybe there's some study you need to do around that. 
And that's one of the topics that we're really going to jump into today. Because up until now, we've been really focusing on the beautiful gifts that God has given us in our real life series, which is summarizing our vision as a church. Our vision statement is to see people transformed by Jesus Christ in the Okanagan Valley. That's it. Transformed at conversion. Somebody who's just gone, the old is gone and the new life has come. And then transformed as we live life, as we go on, transformed into becoming more and more like Jesus, which is what we talked about last week when we focused on sanctification. This week, we're going to focus on what really is a favorite subject and topic of mine, and yet is not spoken enough in church. And I need to stand up and I need to confess that and ask your forgiveness for it. Because the more I have studied this week, the more I realize that this is what we lack. This is what we lack. We can be sanctified, we can have that process, we can be saved, we can be justified, we can be adopted. All these beautiful, deep theological truths that we have jumped into the last few weeks. But if you lack this, then you are not fulfilling the call of God on your life. And you are not living real life as God designed it. So the important question that I want to ask this morning is, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? It is central to the Christian life. It is a mega theme in the Bible. It is not an optional extra for the few crazies that like to lift their hands and clap in church, which by the way, we need to do more of that. And I'm talking to those people who would normally do it, but are being affected by people around them that are not. You know, if you want to put your hands up and worship, put your hands up and worship. doesn't matter what people think. If you want to clap, please clap. Often, like, I feel like I'm on a little island. Like, we used to, this whole, that, you have a reputation down the side there. You used to be the loudest bunch. I don't know what's happened. But, you know, I'm not saying everybody should clap, but if you're a clapper, clap. But that doesn't, that's not like be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit and one of the signs is that you'll clap. Okay, that, it, it's not just for the charismatic expression at few that some of you, and I say you because I'm a little bit expression and charismatic, you might have noticed, but some of you are like, I don't even want to sit next to them because they weird me out. And that's got something to do with the Holy Spirit, so I'm not sure about that. Whereas the Holy Spirit is central to the Christian life. It activates all that God has given us as Christians so that we can go out and affect the world. Let's read the key scripture, Ephesians 5 verse 15. This is our central key scripture this morning. And then I've got lots of other scriptures to, uh, to work through. So Jason, you're going to be busy, my friend. It's going to be good. Verse 15, Ephesians 5. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Is that not true? We live in evil days. Therefore, because we live in evil days, he's speaking to Christians, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which, what, uh, which is debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with 
the Spirit. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to make some statements and ask some big questions. Some of them are going to shake some of your thoughts and beliefs about what you may have thought is the case when it comes to being baptized with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, and gifts we're going to be looking at next week. But here's what I want to do is all I am going to do this morning is share Bible with you. Lots of scriptures. And so if you have a challenge with that, then you can go back to the Bible and not the pastor. I'm okay with that. I'm more than happy to answer questions, of course, which is why we've got text Sunday next week uh, where you can actually text in some questions and we'll talk about being filled and the gifts of the Spirit. But the first question is this, and this is the big one. Isn't it that the Holy Spirit is given to all believers? Isn't the Holy Spirit given to all? All believers. So why is it that Paul is saying we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit if the Spirit is given to all believers? 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. For we were all, I put it in capitals, baptized by one Spirit. We were all baptized by one Spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. All baptized into one spirit. So here's the statement. You come into the body of Christ by, or sorry, through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you are a living, breathing, believing Christian this morning, you have the Holy Spirit, all of Him, in your life. It's a Bible truth. You cannot find any scripture that negates that. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say, please listen, especially the Charismatics and Pentecostals, nowhere in scripture does it say that we are to get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift given by God at conversion, and you have all of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, so when you believed in him, watch, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we all acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So let's just stop and remind ourselves why we're talking about this. We're saying as Christians, and you may not be a Christian this morning, you might be on a a journey, you might be thinking through spirituality, and we love that, we are welcome. It's like you've come into a family meeting, and you say, and you can hear into this and go, wow, I, I want that. So here's what a Christian should be, recognizing that you are filled, sorry, you have all of the Holy Spirit in your life. Why? So you can go into this world and make a difference, because the world is evil, You need this power in your life to actually be different, to be that thing that we all deep down as Christians want to be, which is some essence of Jesus to people. Because whether or not you believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again, culture thinks Jesus is cool. Why? Because his teaching is still so relevant to good society and good community. So people have no problem with that. But we want to show them more of Jesus, that Jesus transforms lives. And how do we do that? By being activated by the Holy Spirit, which starts with this guarantee that we have. Friends, if you are a Christian, you are, have all of the Holy Spirit. It's our inheritance at conversion. We just read it. It regenerates the heart. What does that mean? When you regenerate the heart, it means that it's, it's, it's a complete change, a complete conversion of the heart. 
So if you are struggling this morning with issues because you do not know Jesus, your heart can be regenerated, changed, new creation by the Holy Spirit. He was right there at the beginning at creation, and he is ready to create in you a new heart today. That's his job, which, by the way, also shows, this is another sermon for another time, that's why you can't lose salvation. Because you can't unregenerate the heart. The Bible never says that. It never says that you can lose your salvation. And you're thinking of people in your life where you think, well, I'm pretty sure they were a Christian and they're nowhere near. That's not, that's a whole other discussion. You cannot lose your conversion. More likely they were never converted in the first place. You can't unregenerate a heart. The Holy Spirit radically changes a heart. It's your seal. It's a guarantee. You have all the Holy Spirit. So here's our problem. Ephesians 5 verse 18, we've just read, says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. I like that word, debauchery. It makes me think of medieval England. I don't know why. I just think debauchery, and I have visions of Henry VIII, and I'm pretty sure it doesn't mean that. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So if you sit and meditate on this for a few minutes, this causes a challenge. Because on one hand, Paul is saying, all through the New Testament, you have all of the Holy Spirit. And yet, on the other hand, he's saying to Christians, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you see what I mean here? There's a bit of a challenge in thinking, like, what does that mean? What does Paul mean? So here's a key phrase. Community group leaders, you might want to write this down. This is one to be talked about in your groups this week. All believers have the Holy Spirit, but not all believers are filled with Him. All believers have the Holy Spirit, but not all believers are filled with Him. You can put it this way. Um, We all have the Holy Spirit as Christians, but He doesn't have all of us. So... um, I was, trying to, I was trying to think of a way that I could illustrate this. So I've never done anything like this in church before, but I've been looking forward to it all week. So under here, I have an illustration. I don't know if this is going to come up on video, Chris. This is my... Thank you. I could, I could hear the gasps of astonishment. It's a magic bullet. I, I don't know what I would do without my magic bullet at home. And so I've got some water... I have, uh, just bear with me, and I'm really praying, Lord Jesus, let me not make a fool of myself right now and make a mess. So imagine this is your life, and when you become a Christian, you put all sorts of, uh, there's all sorts of things that are deposited. Oh gosh, this didn't work out well, this is all covered. Like, you could think of this as the Holy Spirit, the goodness of the Holy Spirit entering into your life. Zoe, can I, oh Sarah, are you going to come, oh no, okay, I'll do it myself. I thought you were coming to help me, love. Oh, okay. Sarah's going to do it. So, the Holy Spirit is deposited into our life, which is the these these bits of fruit. It's goodness. It's a good thing that we have all the Holy Spirit. You speed up, love. And there you go, lovely. I hope you washed your hands. No, you're doing great. I'm only kidding. And so there's all sorts of different good things that are given to us at conversion. It's, it's right there. You could even stretch the analogy and say that's like the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But then I wanted to put peanut butter in and I can't, I struggle a bit. Fruit of the Spirit, 
peanut butter of the Holy Spirit is, is a bit of a stretch, but you can put some uh, peanut butter in there because some of them are a bit nutty. There you go. And then you put the water in. Just imagine this is our life. So the Holy Spirit is in our life. But if I gave that for you to drink, then, okay, it's going to be all right. But it's not filled with the fruit. Do you see that? It's like the Holy Spirit is in our lives, but it doesn't fill. It's not consumed. It's not filling every aspect of it. It's, it's okay to live life like that, but really what we're all looking for is for the Holy Spirit to completely fill us. I'm going to offer this to somebody in a minute with a straw. Okay, would anybody like to have this lovely smoothie? Yeah, okay. First hand up at the back. There you go. Thanks, Chris. Give Chris a round of applause for brave enough to eat this. That's why he's got so tall. Look at him. He's in smoothies. See, the fruit, the Holy Spirit, if you like, is now filled. It's all part of the same thing. The analogy works because the Holy Spirit has been given to us all into our lives, but it doesn't completely fill our lives. And this is what Paul is referring to. So the second question then is, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How do we get to that place where if we recognize the Holy Spirit is in our lives, all of Him, how do we get filled? How do we follow through with this commandment that Paul gives us in Ephesians 5.18? So it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This word filled is a wonderful word. It literally means to be consumed, saturated, controlled, if you like, with the Spirit. So an example of what this looks like is in Luke 4, verse 28. It says, when they heard these things all in the synagogue, they were filled, same word, with wrath. Have you ever been filled with anger? Like it just consumes you. It's, you can, all you can think about is the situation. All you can think about is your present feelings. It's, it's from top to bottom. All your emotions, all your spirit, all your body even it responds to being consumed by anger, filled, controlled. There is nothing else when you are consumed and filled in this Context. You could be filled with ambition. You could be filled with lust. You can be filled. It just consumes you. So let's read that verse again using that translation. Do not get drunk on wine, but be filled, consumed, overcome, overshadowed, controlled with the Spirit. So now you can actually see where Paul is coming from because, friends, let's be truthfully honest with ourselves as Christians. Could we say that we are consumed, controlled, overshadowed, overcome with the presence and the filling of the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day lives? What would our lives look like if that was the case? I am very confident it would look very, very different than it does for most of us on a day-to-day basis. See, everywhere you go and every person you speak to and every situation you find yourself in, every reaction, you see, if we were truly filled in the way that Paul is describing, not just that we have the Holy Spirit, but filled with the Holy Spirit, then surely life would look very, very different. 
You would see every situation you're in through the lens of being filled and consumed by the Holy Spirit. Being filled and consumed by Jesus himself. That it would dictate what you say. It would dictate what you do. It would dictate the way you react. You would be looking for every opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ into people's lives. That's the way we would look. We would be laying hands on people. We would be praying for people. And you'd be going, oh, Glenn, that's so weird. Laying hands and praying on people. Like that. that's just, you see, if you were filled with the Holy Spirit, you would be motivated to live it out in such a way that you would actually read about in Acts. That is what our lives would look like. And it can happen so quickly. And it can happen so profoundly. It can turn somebody who is timid and quiet into somebody who is bold to reach out and pray. See, friends, I'm going to say this very carefully and lovingly. I don't believe I should be having to somehow twist and leverage the church into coming to a prayer meeting a week on Monday. If we were truly filled and consumed with the Holy Spirit, we would be tripping over ourselves into every situation we could grab hold of so that we could learn more about Him and also communicate with Him. We would sense the urgency, the burden, because the Holy Spirit consumes and fills our life. Why is it that Paul says that we need to be filled Because the reality is on a day-to-day basis that we as Christians somehow feel like the fire has gone out. That we don't feel consumed. We struggle. We're consumed with other things that invade our lives and dictate how we respond and what decisions we make and what we go to and what we commit to and what we watch. But if it was consumed by the Holy Spirit, then we would be so sensitive to His whisper that a broken and starving and a need world spiritually would have their needs, spiritual needs met through his church, which is what God's plan is. So I want you to notice four things very quickly about this scripture. First of all, being filled is not an optional extra. It is a command. Be filled. You see, I've said there are many beautiful gifts that God has given us. The Holy Spirit is one of them. He said, here is the Holy Spirit, your guarantee. But then Paul says, you be filled. There's something you need to do. Be filled. He wouldn't turn it into a statement that is a command if we weren't able in our own power somehow to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll come to that in a little while. But nowhere, as I said, are we commanded to get the Holy Spirit. But we are commanded to pursue Him. It's not an optional extra for those charismatic, loud Christians like Pastor Glenn. Everybody... It's nothing to do with being an extrovert. It's about being filled and consumed with a sense and a guarantee that your future is secure, that you have a Savior who loves you, that you have a Savior who died on the cross for you, and you are consumed and filled with the same power, friends, that rose Him from the dead, lives in you. The second thing I want you to notice is not only is it a command, is that being filled is for everyone. Every one of you. 
I've been in meetings where I have witnessed some miraculous things, some amazing things, and, and we love to pick it apart and go, oh, well, maybe it's just not that. Because somehow we, want, we don't want to attribute the power that truly is in the Holy Spirit. We don't want to attribute that into people's lives. We want to look for reasons. Well, was it really a miracle? Was it really healing? Let's look at it this way, that every Christian should be filled and consumed with the Holy Spirit. And what would church and community look like? Everyone. The third thing I want you to notice, that Paul says that being filled is continuous. See, it's actually an ongoing verb. It actually should read, and I'm sure many of you know this, it should say, be being filled. It's not a one-time event. It's a continuous and ongoing daily renewal and filling with the Holy Spirit. There are many, many fillings of the Holy Spirit that can happen in the Christian life. Let me show you some scriptures very quickly to show you this. Acts 2 verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then in verse Acts 4 31 Again, later on, it says, when they prayed, this is what I preached on a couple of weeks ago, in in the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not a one-time event, friends. This is an ongoing, be being filled. Now, that idea, it shakes some of the more Pentecostal theology that I'm going to come to in a second. The idea that there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, a secondary experience, if you like, after conversion. Whereas what I'm showing you here is that being filled with the Holy Spirit is an ongoing, not a one-time event. Look at Paul, Acts 9 and verse uh, 17. It says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, he's filled in Acts Uh, chapter 13, verse 9, says, But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a present tense. He's, at that moment, filled again with the Holy Spirit. It seems in the New Testament, and and my Pentecostal friends, and, and I spent many years in a Pentecostal church, as a minister in the Pentecostal church, um, It seems in the New Testament that the words baptism in the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's almost almost synonymous. So here's where where I stand. As somebody who is more reformed in theology, but uh, more charismatic, believing in the Holy Spirit and believing in in, in the gifts, this is where I stand uh, and and where you need to maybe think through and, and think about where you stand. For me, baptism in the Holy Spirit is, some, is, 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 is something that happens when you first become a Christian. And then you get filled. It's something that's happened in the past. Once at conversion, you get baptized, you get changed, you get converted by the Holy Spirit. But then there are many, many fillings after that. And some are more profound than others. I remember the first time after conversion where I really had a profound experience. Some would say, you could call it baptism. I don't care what you call it. We need it. That's our theology. Phil and I were talking this morning over breakfast. Our standpoint is this. Call it baptism or being filled. We don't care. You need it. We need it. Every day, please, Jesus, more of it. That's our theology. You can write that down. 
So I don't get like, well, I think it should be like there's conversion, then there's baptism in the Holy Spirit, then you speak in tongues, and then you get filled. I, I don't care. Sure. Yeah, okay. Just get it. Be filled. Whether you're baptized and filled and filled and filled. We get really hung up on stuff, and I'm looking for the activated life out of it. That's what I pray for. Not that we get our terminology right. At 18, I was profoundly filled slash baptized, slash anointed, whatever you want to call it. And I, and I spoke in tongues. I, I, I had a tremendously powerful baptism. I was, a, I was a mess. And I came back from that and life just changed immediately. Came back and I joined a young adults group. And I'm going to be talking more about this later on. And I found myself, uh, sorry, next week I found myself... Uh, speaking in this group, just being passionate about the word and loving people and telling people about Jesus. What was the change? The change was there was a moment in time when somebody laid hands on me and prayed that I got filled with the Holy Spirit and it changed my life. We need that. And I know that there are those of you, many of you in this room who would say, yeah, I've had experiences. Maybe it didn't look like speaking in tongues. Maybe it didn't look like anything like that. But you just know that somehow Jesus came into the room and slapped you around filled you, baptized you, anointed you, whatever you want to call it. So regardless of your terminology, the command and example in Scripture is clear. Being filled is something that should happen continually. Not a one-time event, all the time. So what is it like? I need to speed up here. It's interesting in the New Testament that there's, there's two or three times where they attach being drunk and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we certainly do in, in Ephesians 5. It says, you know, don't get drunk, but be filled. Why, why drunkenness? See, when someone is drunk, they don't act like themselves anymore. You can get happy drunks or mad drunks. You can get, like, you know, funny drunks or violent drunks. You can get, you can, it just controls every aspect of their body. Whether it's their tongue, their, their mind, their, their emotions, their body... When you are drunk, it consumes, there's that word again, your whole demeanor, everything about you. So, again, we can see the attachment between being filled with the Holy Spirit and being consumed by alcohol. But let me, let me just say this very, very quickly. Nowhere in the Bible does it commend losing control in the Holy Spirit. Nowhere. And we have to be very careful here because there are revival accounts in our history, recent history and long-term history of some really strange things happening when people get filled with the Spirit. And that has to be recognized as being an exception more than the norm. But we mustn't discount it. But I do want to say this, that the gift and the experience is not an end in and of itself. The Holy Spirit is in our lives to make much of Jesus. And, and you will find that we talk often about character before gift. We don't experience chase. Neither do we kind of say, well, we're going to resist anything that God might want to do in this church. But we don't chase experiences. So the Holy Spirit is in our lives to do a very specific task, to make much of Jesus and to be filled with and consumed with that muchness, if you like. A really good example is this next picture. I've used this a couple of times. Um, this is the Washington Monument, and it's a tremendously uh, significant and important and, uh, and an astonishing 
monument. It's beautiful. It's not at night time, and we would not be able to see that monument if it wasn't for the lights that are around the base of it. But nobody visits Washington and goes to the Washington Monument at night and goes, Wow, look at those lights. They're overwhelmed with the monument that the lights are shining on. That's a beautiful analogy of the work of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit's emphasis is to make much of Jesus the monument, the important thing here, the beautiful person, the sacrifice that that Jesus has done. Centering in on the lights and making the Holy Spirit the focus is where it gets dangerous. Because the Holy Spirit's actually going, no, 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 not me. Look at him. Look at Jesus. He's the ultimate example of the love of God. Look at him. So drunkenness is giving control to a substance that can ruin you, whereas when you give control and are consumed by the Holy Spirit, it actually gives you real life. My speech, my actions, my mind, my emotions are all controlled and influenced by the Holy Spirit. And the New Testament is filled with examples of what life looks like when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're struggling with belief and faith, then the scripture that says the Holy Spirit will come and fill you and help you, whether you're struggling with security in Christ or comfort in difficult times, he gives strength, he, he gives you a sound mind so you can keep clear heads, so you're not consumed by worry all the time. He helps in decision making, and battling with temptations. The list goes on and on and on. And so, friends, I want to gently challenge you that if you are struggling in life with those day-to-day issues, perhaps it's because you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. He doesn't consume you. Is your life influenced and controlled by the Holy Spirit? So what stops him? In Acts 7, verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. See, not everyone is submissive to the Holy Spirit. What does this resistance look like? It looks like this, that when the Spirit of God directs you to do something, you resist. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. You live Christianity out in a passive and inactive way because He constantly speaks, but we resist. And this resisting can lead to the second thing, which is, remember the question is, what stops the Holy Spirit filling us? So first of all, it's resisting. Secondly, we grieve Him. In Ephesians 4 and verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. This word grieve is a love language word. It can only be used by somebody who truly loves us. That only, it's, an only, it's only a type of grief that you can experience between a love relationship. What's that grievance look like as we resist Him? He says, why... Why are we going here? Glenn, why, why is this happening right now? Why are, you, why are you doing this? He whispers. In a way, only somebody who can love and protect. Why are you reacting like this? Why are you saying that? And we resist the whisper. And that leads to perhaps the most frightening but strongest reality, I believe, in church. We quench him. You resist. You grieve. And then you quench. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. 
There are some fires that take a long time to put out. I remember uh, coming on holiday to Summerland in 2003, living in Vancouver. It was our first year in Canada, and we, we, we were staying on the side of a hill in a nice house with some friends in Summerland, and we looked across the lake. It was just coming into fall, and we looked at this mountain on fire. And I remember saying to Sarah, why on earth would anybody live there? This is mad. Because I'd never, British like frame of mind, never seen anything like this before. And God was gathering around his angels and saying, come and listen to what this guy just said. Let's send him right there. Not only to Kelowna, but actually into Kettle Valley. Uh, and, 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 you know, the, right in the center of where the fire was. There are some fires that take a long time to put out, but you can put them out. Has your fire gone out? Just think about the words that the scripture uses when it comes to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Resist, grieve, quench. These are sad words, friends. And I don't want to be looking out and preaching to a church where we are quenching him and resisting him and grieving him. Has the Holy Spirit gone quiet in you? Sarah and I have been married for 23 years in a couple of weeks' time. I've known her for, I think, 26 years. And in those 26 years, there have been once or twice when we've had, um, how should I put it, uh, delicate disagreements. Where Sarah has had, I, I know it's a shock, but Sarah's had different views on things than I have. And I, I was quite surprised when this started to happen because I was pretty sure that when I signed up, that wasn't going to happen. But it did and does. You know, as you get to know somebody and you've been married to them a long time, there's, there's that kind of, you start learning how the other person's going to react. And, and I am very grateful. And I can stand in all honesty before you and say that, that Sarah and I, I can't remember the last time we argued in the sense of, you know, doors slamming and, and everything else. But we still have disagreements. And when those disagreements happen, I tend to, we, we respond differently. I press in, let's sort this out. Sarah's like, no, leave me alone. And that can cause some tension, right? I'm sure some of you who have been married long enough know exactly what I mean. I, no, let's fix this. And those of you who know me well enough will know, yeah, I can see that about you, Glenn. But Sarah's just like, just give me a few minutes. No, I don't want to have a few minutes. Let's talk about it. And so eventually I've grown to understand over the years that the best thing is actually to give us some time mad and then the Holy Spirit whispers oh, I wish you wouldn't but he does go and say sorry yeah but it's not it, it was her not me go and say sorry Glenn go and say sorry no and then we argue again and then the same thing happens and maybe it's a few weeks later and the Holy Spirit says Glenn Go and say sorry. And I go, no. A few weeks later, Glenn, go and say sorry. No. A few weeks later, maybe it's a few years later, Glenn, go and say sorry. Easy to ignore now, right? Why is that? Until eventually I just don't hear anything at all and I've just grown immune. That's quenching the Holy Spirit. Where he just goes so quiet in your life that you're not even aware of him, that you're just making your own decisions. And perhaps some of you are there. Are you resisting 
grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit? And are you critical, cynical, and judgmental as a result? You don't want to sit next to people who just seem to be connected with him. Oh, they'll learn. Is that the state of your heart? Because that is what Christianity can look like. And it grieves me to think that perhaps a Christian can get to that place where the Holy Spirit has gone so quiet that you have kept on saying no for so long that you don't hear him anymore. The fire has gone out. And then when Pastor Glenn comes up and says, hey, join us with a prayer meeting, you're thinking, I'd rather have my nails pulled out. Because I'm just not connecting with that. Friends. How do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? And I want to finish with this, and I've been praying for two weeks over this sermon. Proof of that is that Josh received an email from me two weeks ago saying, I want to sing this song when we finish. Because I want to give you an opportunity now to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you just clenched a little bit. What's he going to get me to do? I'm not going forward. Have any of you been coming, ever come forward when the crazy preacher's there and you want to make sure you don't fall down so you take the stance? I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm going to resist it with everything that I've got. I'm, I'm not talking about that because here's what I know is that the Holy Spirit can fill you in any way that he chooses. But what I know this to be the case is the first thing you need to do, please listen, is you need to recognize the need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit this morning? And I can answer that question for you, yes. Some of you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit in years. The fire's gone out. You've lost your first love. You know you're a Christian, but it's just like our friend described on the screen, just stale. You've grown cynical and hard. The fire, there's not even embers glowing. It's just gone. Paul says to Timothy, We're going to look at this next week. Fan into flame. Fan that flame. Do you need him? Recognize your need. Secondly, and this is very important, you need to confess. Say, Father, I I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you. And you confess and you ask for forgiveness for the way that you have resisted and quenched and grieved him. Maybe you need to go to set free formerly known as Encounter God. You need to go to set free. You need to position yourself in your life and your family under the guardianship and the guideship of the Holy Spirit. Say, this is who is in control of my life. So you need to recognize your need. You need to confess. Give yourself completely to God. And so as Josh, and guys, you can come up now. As Josh and the team come and lead. They're going to lead us beautifully. I know they'll do a great job in some worship. And the Bible says that God fills the praises of his people. He is here. So as we recognize our need, as we confess, as we give ourselves completely to him, and then we quite simply, friends, listen, very simply, we ask him, fill us. Holy Spirit, fill me. Consume me, guide me, speak to me again. I'm sorry for the way that I have resisted and said no to you. You confess. And then, friends, I have the simple faith to believe that as we pray these prayers more often and position ourselves more willingly, 
then I know that the Holy Spirit will fill us. Maybe it'll be a dramatic filling. Maybe it'll just be something beautiful and soft and gentle. But it can be life-changing, and I believe this is what the church needs. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Let's stand together. God, I pray that through my presentation this morning, through my own limited understanding and the communication ability, that God, that somehow you will be speaking to people's hearts right now. And Father, I have no preconceived ideas as to how or who or when you should fill and consume and anoint and baptize people with your spirit. But Lord, I know that I know from your scripture is your heart and desire that we all be filled. For those who don't know you, Jesus, I pray now that you would just woo them to yourself. That they would confess and cry out and ask for forgiveness. Recognizing that you died on the cross. And their sin died with you. And there is newness of life. Father, I pray that you would draw people to yourself in that way and transform for the first time. And Lord, for the Christians, my friends, my brothers and sisters whom I love very much, Lord, I pray that you would fill us. Lord, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to make much of Jesus in our lives. We need you to empower us and embolden us. Forgive us, Lord, for believing the lie that we can do this ourselves. Forgive us, Lord, for struggling through all those things that you promise you will take care of. Forgive us, Lord, for saying no, resisting, grieving, and quenching. And Holy Spirit, if you have gone quiet in people's lives this morning, Lord, I pray that the volume 